Motherboard is brought to you this week by GitHub. GitHub is the best way to build software together. Whether it's your company's app, your favorite open source library, or a weekend side project, GitHub helps everyone work better by providing tools for easier collaboration and code sharing on any device. Start collaborating today. Open source project hosting is free. This is episode 12 of Motherboard. I'm Catherine Rotundo, and today's guest is Anil Dash. Anil is co-founder and CEO of ThinkUp, a new app that offers deeper insights into our social networks. He's a blogging pioneer who helped start Six Apart, the company that helped invent and popularize early blogging tech, and has been publishing his own blog at dashes.com continuously since 1999. Time named his Twitter account among the best of 2013, He also did a really interesting Twitter experiment where he focused on amplifying women's voices by retweeting only women for a whole year. He serves on the board of Stack Exchange. He's written for Wired, and he advises startups and nonprofits, including Medium and Donors Choose. I could keep going on about his accomplishments, but it would take the rest of the hour. So I'll skip forward and just say that Anil is based in New York City, where he lives with his wife and their son, Malcolm, who is three and a half. Hi, Anil. Hello. How are you today? Good. I'm excited to be here. This is going to be fun. (laughs) Yay. I'm excited that you're here too. So today's a launch day for you. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. It's been, um, this week has been, even by our uh, busy standards, absurdly busy. But uh, yeah, what we did with um, uh, my my company, ThinkUp, our our app, ThinkUp, and a bunch of other really cool sites, um, we put out this thing called the Good Web Bundle. And the idea was independent sites are really interesting and independent apps and things are really interesting. And there's this other model for the kinds of ways we can have fun online and maybe we could all work to support them by uh, buying this bundle of apps. And so it's it's us at ThinkUp. It's Metafilter, which is sort of this um, very revered, longtime uh, community web blog, which is great questions and answers. There's a site called Milkshake that's like a fun image sharing community. There's The Toast, uh, which is one of my favorite blogs and just a really fun and interesting daily blog to read. Uh, news Blur, which is a, a newsreader app. But we kind of all got together, and these are all companies where it's like one or two or three people are running them. And we thought uh, maybe if we all band together and we make an easy way to sort of buy a membership or s- support the sites that people would want to participate. And so far, the response has been amazing. So that's been great. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. And this is like a, a limited time thing, I think. I yeah. Yeah. We're just running. I mean, it's, it's for the holidays, basically. It's like running through the end of the year. And, and um, you know, it's like a, maybe in a month and a half, we can get a number of people to come in and say, this is something they want to support. And um, it was a little bit nerve wracking. Like, you just don't know if people are going to understand the concept. And uh, to my great delight, I think people really kind of woke up and said, that's cool. And, and, you know, the way I put it was, um, Facebook is great. Twitter is great. You know, Pinterest is great, but, uh, they're sort of the big box stores or fast food and you sometimes need a home cooked meal. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what, um, I think a lot of our apps and our sites are trying to be. Oh, that's a nice analogy. Um, yeah. So, uh, can you talk a little bit about think up how sure. you, how you, uh, came to found a company to do this? Yeah, uh, it, it's it's a combination of things. So, uh, ThinkUp is uh, uh, I'm a co-founder along with uh, Gina Trapani, who she uh, created Lifehacker back in the day. She's a very sort of well-loved technologist and writer. 
um, and a brilliant mind and an old friend. And, and we had been kicking around this idea for a couple of years now, actually, um, based on some work we had done. Uh, we used to work at a nonprofit together and, um, and we were helping sort of analyze social media usage by like federal agencies in the White House and uh, other government agencies. And uh, what we saw is, you know, people use Twitter and Facebook on a daily basis and they have there are analytics tools either built in or that you can get, and they tell you these sort of very prosaic things like, okay, you have – unless you're a complete monster, you have more Twitter followers than you did a year ago. you know. Um, and, and, but, but other than that, there sort of wasn't a lot of depth or insight to it. And what we found is the questions we cared about were almost never what an analytics dashboard would tell you. Yeah. So, so ThinkUp was this app that is really about – you know, you hook it up to your Facebook and your Twitter account, and that takes like a second. And then you get, you know, either in an email or you come to the site and you look at it, you get these these this stream of insights, and it's like these little you know cards you can read, almost like like scrolling through Tumblr or something. And the stories we tell you are things like, uh, in my case, um, my biggest fan on Facebook last week was my mother. <laughs> and you know, I mean, I'm an Asian son, so it's not that hugely surprising, but that was still you know pretty fun for me. But your mom's uh, on Twitter. She's on Facebook. Oh, She's on Facebook. Oh, Facebook and, yeah. So yeah, so that was a really that was a nice thing. Or we have, you know, which of your friends changed their bio? Like you'll see people like get a new job and they'll change it on their their Twitter bio or something like that, and you can sort of catch up with that and, and drop them a note. And then even deeper things like, um, how many people did you thank this month, or who did you offer congratulations to this month, or um, how many times did somebody make you laugh? So like, how many times did I type LOL or type mm-hmm. a smiley? And those were the things that immediately I was like, yes, this, this is why I am spending so much time on these networks. You know, yeah. it, it just built to me. And I sort of you know, just remember smacking myself in the forehead saying, you know, of course Facebook knows this. Of course Twitter knows this. Why aren't they telling me? <laughs> right. And, and that was really, I mean, I think Gina and I have talked about this so much is that, that, that impulse of like, I know they know this. And in fact, I know they sell it to advertisers. And, yeah, exactly. And, and why can't I know it about myself? <laughs> and 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 so simple things like, um, and this actually, I think this comes out of the fact that we have, uh, you know, founders that identify two different genders. Is uh, we tell you how much you talk about yourself on your social media presence, mm-hmm. and um, it was one of the first ideas we came up with. Like this would be really cool to show. And because Gina's an amazing programmer, she built it out in like an afternoon, you know, and awesome. we went and looked at it and hers was, she's like, oh man, I, uh, I should probably dial it down. I talked about myself like six times last week, <laughs> you know, and I looked at mine and it was like 130 times, you know, and it was Whoa. just like, oh wow, that's, uh, that's like, there's the perfect encapsulation of the difference in gender there. And so it was a really, it was just a, such an interesting insight into like how we see our social presences and what we represent of ourselves and what we expect of ourselves. Because the app doesn't ever say, oh, that's too much. You shouldn't talk about yourself so much. Right. Right. It just says this is the number and make a decision for yourself as to what you think that means. And, and so that was really instructive and especially to me where I find so many of the women I work with in tech uh, you know, are, are reckoning and wrangling with imposter syndrome and this sort of the, the, the balance of how do you talk about your own work and promote yourself. Um, and so this sort of this positive nudge of maybe you should just every once in a while, let people know what you're working on, you know, really jumped out. And then for me, the having the reverse experience was a, a big part of the reason why 
thinking about those kind, building those kinds of features was why I had decided to only retweet women for a year. Um, and it actually, I've been doing it for a couple of years, but I, I wrote this piece that was like, okay, here's about the first year of doing that. Okay. And, um, and it was interesting to me because I, I, I came at it very much from the standpoint of I wanted to be mindful about the fact I'm spending all this time online. Um, and I mean, I, I obviously there's, you know, I sit through the lens of gender and representation in media and all these other things, but it was, it was really just this, we, we should be responsible for what we put out in the world at, at a certain level. Yeah. And, um, and so that was the most interesting thing in the response to me. It's what it's become one of the most popular things I've ever written, which is, um, I guess nice, um, very flattering, uh, but a surprise. I didn't expect that. Uh, typically when I write about things that have to do with gender representation in tech, it's not the most popular things that I write. Um, and, yeah, go ahead. It, it's interesting to me. I mean, it, it really, um, it was inspiring to me. I think we all have our implicit biases that we need to, um, acknowledge and start to deal with. Sure, um, yeah. for, for me, one of mine, um, you know, I, I started this project, um, with the idea that I was missing role models of moms in tech, right? So I, I immediately went there and I was like, well, I need to do a, a project to uncover moms in tech. And it was only like five or six interviews in that I was like, but you know what? I really need to talk to dads too. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's well, there's a weird thing. And it's actually like right now there's this sort of weird media moment around dads uh, online, like dads and Twitter and, and like kind of Twitter dads has become a meme. Um, which is strange and interesting. I mean, at one level, it's very affirming um, because there isn't really a very positive narrative of fatherhood in in sort of mainstream media. I mean, I think for a lot of the same reasons, there isn't a, there aren't a lot of great role models, you know, in, in the public sphere of of motherhood of all the various forms of motherhood. I think for for men, there's sort of the sitcom dad who's this like basically <laughs> oh, the no. joke, right? You know, like yeah. this this schlub, um, and. Like I, it, I struggle to think of of a you know, a, a popular media representation of uh, one a man who's primarily identified as a dad, right? Not mm-hmm. I'm a I have this role, this job, this other thing, and two is not basically like this incompetent schlub, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, and it's a weird thing of like, well, no, most of us like try pretty hard and love our kids and try to be good to our families, and you know, increasingly are trying to be better balanced partners at home. And also are prone to dad jokes and corny humor and, you know, <laughs> silly obsessions and all the other sort of trappings of daddom and, you know, like going out to grill things on the, on the barbecue or whatever. But like, the, I think that, that sort of, that reflected back to me of saying like, okay, well, everybody has this issue, whatever facet it is. I mean, I obviously, I experienced that as a person of color. I get, there's, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can look at it, but I think that sort of like, well, then we just have to tell our own stories. Yeah. That was really what it boiled down to. We've got to tell our own stories. And then and then it was, oh, well, you know, I'm so lucky. I have this not particularly earned but large audience and <laughs> what can I do with it? And and some of it is just, gosh, be mindful of who I'm amplifying. Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome what you did there. <laughs> well, it's it's actually um and I appreciate that. I don't mean to be ungrateful, but it's it's it is the least I could do. Yeah. Do you know I mean, and I don't say that, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, it's not, not like some false humility, but it's like, it's like, it's pushing the retweet button. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's, it's nothing. Yeah. Um, it's a good point. <laughs> and, 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 and so like the bar for earning ally cookies is so low for dudes that I'm sort of like, 
I appreciate it, and I'm never gonna, you know, say not say thank you for kind words, but like, let's let's make the bar at least that high. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That we that like I put in the bare minimum self reflection about thinking about whose voice I amplify, and still guys were so defensive when that came out. Of mm. you know, ah, oh, well, how come you're not just retweeting the best people? Like you know, there's like it's a checklist of silencing tactics, and I was just like, you know, if this is what hurts you like so badly. Yeah, uh, what is that? Is it your life is that good? Lewis Law, I think that every uh, comments on any post about feminism <laughs> show you oh, the need for the feminism. Case, right? The need for feminism, exactly. Yeah. Well, I should take a break uh, to uh, read a little message from our sponsor, GitHub. So the fastest and most flexible version of GitHub Enterprise is here. What's more, it's now available on Amazon Web Services. New features make it easier for you and your team to take on code review, project management, and software deployment, all with the added benefit of AWS support, online backups, and high availability. Spin up an instant, scale storage, and run backups quickly and efficiently, all while meeting the compliance and governance standards set by your industry. If you'd like to use GitHub Enterprise on AWS, Check out enterprise.github.com for information on getting started. All right. Well, we, we started talking about uh, about Twitter dads. And so, so let's <laughs> talk about your, your kid. Like, where were you in your career when, um, when you were expecting? Well, it's, it's interesting. We, um, when we the first started trying and, and reckoning with being parents, um, my wife and I were both sort of in transition points in our careers. Um, I had, I, I, I'm a New Yorker and kind of lived here for all, all my adult life. And then we'd gone out to San Francisco for a few years while I was working with a startup there and just come back to New York. And I had, um, personally reached a reckoning where I was sort of done with the traditional tech industry. I just like, doesn't really, it, it's not, a it's, it's not for me. Right. Mm-hmm. It just was like, I, I, I didn't like, and this is funny cause this is going on seven, eight years ago, um, of, I was like, well, th- things we're working on aren't really meaningful, and uh, you know the industry has, doesn't have enough of a sense of ethics and civics. Um, little did I know uh, it would get worse before it gets better. <laughs> but but um, so that was my sort of like I was figuring that out, and then all of a sudden, like, oh, okay, well, if we're going to be parents, then I gotta really, I have to have a steady job, and I have to know what I'm doing, and and so those things all came together right around the point when we were also s- sort of you know. Um, uh, dealing with, uh, having a child, it was mm-hmm. a complicated process for us. And, um, you know, sort of fast forwarding a bit to when, you know, my wife was pregnant, um, it was about four years ago and we both, you know, we're both entrepreneurs. We both work in tech. Um, we both had startups we were doing then. Um, and you know, we both, we both are doing startups now. <laughs> and, uh, and so it was a very, um, it's very fraught because you have all the considerations of parenthood all the normal things that you worry about, you know, uh, as a parent, but because we're both entrepreneurs and, and, and there's that sort of higher element of risk around our careers, you're managing that as well. And there's, you know, there's just logistical stuff, tiny companies, like, you know, being the executives of tiny companies, we're setting our own leave policies, mm-hmm. right? You know, <laughs> yeah. you know, how much time am I going to take away from my own company, from my, you know, with my co-founder or whatever. And, that's a very strange position to be in because you sort of have to hold yourself accountable and be honest to yourself. Yeah. Um, but I, I actually, uh, there's a, I have a consulting firm called activate that I co-founded and, 
um, and still work with and and was very engaged with at, you know around the time my son was born and um, and it was really this point for me of uh, sort of learning to be competent in a way that I never had been before huh. you know I had done a lot of um, what in retrospect feels like coasting mm-hmm. uh, you know because I have I've always had a set of skills that are in demand, right? And and particularly, you know, as a as a programmer and a coder, and particularly, there's the um, you know positive stereotype of Asian American men as being good at tech, right? Mm-hmm. So even even without necessarily me being like Gina is a much better programmer than I am, and and I'm sort of minimally adept, um, but people are willing to believe I'm very technologically literate, and and like that I'm a better programmer than I am. Right. Uh, and and so, you know, confronting that was really it was really part of reckoning with the book. Okay, well, what am I? What is my schedule going to be when I go back to work? And how much time can I balance? And how much time was I wasting? I mean, I think every parent has this where you're like, I just wasted my whole you know my whole life before I had a kid. Like I was just lollygagging, lying around, sleeping <laughs> in. I could have been doing so much. And I think that that was part of it too. It's just that like. Um, the, the growing up you do as soon as you realize that your life is not your own anymore. Uh, yeah. And I think it's converged. And, and, and so it was nice because I had sort of already had this reckoning right about the same time. Right before um, uh, my wife got pregnant, we had gone to India. Uh, and it was, you know, I, I was born here in the U.S., but we would go back when I was a kid. And it was sort of the first time I'd gone back in 25 years. And it was a very clarifying experience for me in terms of like, what are my priorities? What do I care about what are my values because you know my family's from a very very poor part of india and seeing where my cousins were and that the difference between me and them is that my dad got on a plane and right. my, you know, my folks made a life for us here um uh, it sort of made the other considerations fall away really quickly so i had friends in tech that were very successful you know some of them are billionaires now which is absurd <laughs> and yet you know and, and i'm you know still like on very friendly terms with them, but I'm like, their kids aren't happier than my kid will be. And they don't have anything that I want that I don't already have. Um, I mean, I could, I live in New York city. I can afford to live in New York city. Right. So I'm already incredibly privileged. I'm, you know, one of the luckiest people in the history of the world. So I don't want that much more. And that totally changed my career and was the perfect headspace to be in before having a kid because I was sort of like, I'm good. There's nothing, you know, as long as I can afford to live my life and, you know, get vaccines and clean running water and put food on the table and provide some form of education to my kid, the rest is gravy. I don't really, I just don't like, I don't. And and that's actually one of the most heretical things you can say in tech is I have enough and I don't care about being a billionaire. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You're, it's, uh, yeah. You're always supposed to be wanting more. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want that much. And I mean, not to say, like, I'm not a monk. Like, I, you know, every couple of years I'll get a new phone and, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm, you know, yeah, I, I'm, I'm still, like, I'm still participating in capitalism, but I'm just like. I yeah. Um, you know, um, you're, you're talking about going back uh, to India. It reminds me that I just got an update from Charity Water about the, the campaign that you did with them. Yeah, well, that was actually that's a, that was something that came directly out of having gone back and visited family, and I saw in my own family's village where I mean, they literally there's a rice paddy with my name on it, right? Like this is supposed to be where I'm from, mm-hmm. and you know when I would go as a kid thirty years ago, 
for the most part, girls didn't go to school because they were uh, getting water or doing chores and other things. And because they had had improved irrigation, including better drinking water, you know, they were able to have another crop that, that, you know, there's just basically they're gone from subsistence to being able to be real sort of productive farmers and they can afford to send their daughters to school. And so my cousins are educated and they're the first, really the first generation of women in, in the village to be educated. Wow. Um, and you know, it, um, sorry, it's, I I just think about it a lot. It's, uh, yeah, it's a thing I could make happen. You know what I mean? It's it's incredible. Yeah. And it was like, because this like totally arbitrary, uh, switch was, this is the path is I, I'm friends with some of the guys that started Twitter and, uh, they think I'm funny and we're friends. And so they, (laughs) put me on the suggested user list for Twitter. And so I have like half a million Twitter followers and maybe, maybe half of those are because I was on that list. Right. And so I have this reach of half a million people. And because I have that platform, I can say, let's build a well. Like I don't have enough to do it on my own, but we together can do this thing. And it's going to be in a village that's probably about it's less than 50 miles from the village my, you know, where my family's from, where my dad grew up. And I know exactly the circumstance. In fact, when, when Charity Water launched that campaign, they had a video introducing it, and um, they subtitled it because people were speaking in Uriah, which is the language of the state that my family's from. And it was funny because I was catching differences between what the subtitle said and what I would have translated them as because <laughs> they, they were saying. Oh, and I was cool. like, yeah, that's, this is, these are my people. Right? This, is, this is where I'm from. Yeah. And, and I can, for one village, you know, not as much as I want to do, but in this one place, I can have this little bit of impact because of this arbitrary gift I was given. And this is what we have to do when we have these kinds of privileges. Yeah. Well, you know, very well done. I think it's, (laughs) you're, you're, uh, you're using your privilege in, in the way that privilege should be used. So that's really, I hope to, it's hard, it's hard because I feel very, uh, and I think every parent understands this is you want to be worthy of what you've been given. Yeah. You know, and I think about this all the time is my son is like, he's one of my best friends. We have so much fun, you know? And I'm like, how do I do justice to this kid for as much love and kindness as he shows me? How can I be worthy of that? Hmm. You know, cause that's the only standard that matters. I mean, well, you know, my wife and, and my son and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fantastic sentiment. Um, all right, so let's talk about when he was born. Like, <laughs> yeah. like one day you have yeah. you're, you don't have a baby, the next day you have a baby. I, it I'm was guessing, bananas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing that um, you probably didn't take much time off from your work before he came. Is that no, a, no, and assumption? in fact, I, you know, I, I didn't. I, I we, we were. So, he was, he was about three weeks early, so it wasn't like super early. Like he was fine. Mm-hmm. It was full. But it was enough that we hadn't – we were like, oh, we still have some time. And and I literally had the night before like packed the suitcase to take to the hospital. And um, my wife, like Elena was like – she was like, oh, you don't have to do that already. You know? <laughs> and, you know, of course, every other baby story everybody's ever heard commences. Uh, and I actually – I took about five or almost six weeks off and um, was able to, which I was very fortunate. Uh, I felt very fortunate to be able to do. Um, 
but interestingly, my wife was the, the startup she was working with at the time was, um, uh, working on a round of funding and like immediately, I want to say we came home, you know, the second day after my son was born and maybe two days after that, she worked probably a 40 or 50 hour week on <gasps> a fundraising for her company. Uh, wow. and, and her father was here with us and, and, and she was nursing the whole time. So she was like on the laptop and on, you know, phone calls and talking to lawyers and, um, you know, uh, and working on products and all that stuff. Like it was just one of those, like, this is like when, because they had like, the plan had been, we're going to get this all buttoned up and then your baby will arrive. <laughs> right. And, you know what I mean? And, and it was like, and there'll be a two week buffer. So there's plenty of time. And of course he came three <laughs> weeks early. Um, and wow. so it was this sort of absurd thing. And I mean, she's, she's incredible and I admire her very much, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the plan. So, so my sort of memories of that moment are this like amazing mix of all the usual emotions around, um, you know, being a new parent and that sort of this totally different lens on like, well, when you're committed to being entrepreneurs and you have, we both have sort of very broad sets of skills that we work on, like being technical and being, you know, on the business side and, and managing people and all these different things. Um, so I got to be very, you know, active and, you know, taking care of my son in that first week or two. I mean, I still am every day, but I mean, yeah, I think yeah, it, yeah. It, you it, were it, it's a little primary. different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and well, she was primary. I mean, okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, he, this is, this is a, uh, a baby who was nursed and, and so like his, his whole world, obviously for the first many, many months was just mom. Yeah. Uh, uh, but was I was you know it was I was able to at least do some things and participate in a way that I think a lot of dads might not get a chance to do, um, and and so that was really I think it was instructive and it's been I mean I still look at the first month that my son was you know when he was born and I was home as this it was the first time in my life I'd ever experienced nostalgia like was thinking about that moment later. Aww. six months or a year later. Cause I'd never, I'm just not a sentimental person in that way. And I'd never been, you know, like I don't think about high school as a good old days or whatever. Like that, that just for whatever reason that doesn't exist to me. And the only time I ever think of fondly, I'm like, wow, it'd be nice to revisit that moment is that first month. <laughs> so, um, w- was he a relatively easy baby? Because I, yeah, when yeah, I, when I think back to that first month, I think about a lot of crying and like, yeah, being up till two, stuff. like walking him back and forth down the hallway. Yeah, I mean that's you know that's the deal, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, you, there's no question that like you're going to be doing that. But within the scale of babies, I think he was actually pretty easy, and he's still a really easy kid. I mean, you know, three year olds are going to throw tantrums and and yeah. do what they do. But um, on the whole, like I said, you know, I I just love hanging out with him. I, I think I hadn't understood how much it's like you end up with this really interesting person that you live with. Yeah. You know, yeah. like the things he finds interesting. I'm like, that is pretty cool. I'm into that. Let's learn about that. You know? Yeah. Uh, and, and he became a person so quickly where I had got, grown accustomed to thinking of him as a baby that, um, I, I, you know, and, and babies are this clean subset of your world. Right. So mm-hmm. until he's two or something, everything he's ever done or seen or everybody's talked to or interacted with, I knew. Yeah. Right. Even if it was out of sight, if I were, you know, I went on business for a day or he went, you know, to, to the doctor or something without me, I still knew what happened. Right. You know, there was everything there. And then 
the Venn diagram, the overlap of those sets just rapidly starts diverging. Yeah. You know, and he gets this other world of his own. And so I hadn't anticipated, one, how quickly that happens, and two, how interesting it is. So, so all the other things that are only in his circle in that set are things I'm curious about now. I didn't have as much, you know, and even things just rediscovering, which I think we all do, the things that we forgot, how much we loved. For me, it's like, you know, Legos and dinosaurs and, and space were always obsessions. I mean, I, I was... <laughs> a fairly conventional child in these regards but now it's like i can do this every day it's like that's pretty great like i didn't have an excuse to play with legos every day before. yeah that's true i saw your tweet about like organizing legos recently and it made yeah. me laugh yeah, it's I... not... <laughs> it wasn't a joke like it was funny because everybody was like haha that's funny and it's like no i really just love organizing legos yeah no <laughs> i i really love legos too i didn't um when i was a kid the legos were my brother's legos and i was like not allowed to touch them <laughs> Now I have my son's Legos, and it's pretty awesome to be able to play with them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they're you know essentially, if you buy a toy for your kid, it's yours, really, right? You bought it. Yeah. So they have to, because like I can take it away if I needed to. It's true. Yeah. Um, Never do that. Yeah. Gosh, little kids are fun, and it it's surprised me too because. Um, I have this little boy and uh, he gets into all of these things that I never was into as a kid. Like he had a big Thomas, the, the tank engine phase. And um, yeah. like, I I learned all of these words about buffers and switches and That's whatever. That's true. <laughs> the vocabulary is interesting. I, I don't have a whole lot of patience for Thomas these days. Only. This is not the most interesting oh, thing. Oh, believe me. I'm glad it's over. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad it's yeah. over, but. That's um, probably why I'm pushing the Lego thing so hard. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so, but you, he's only at the, the Lego point now when they're a baby, they don't, they don't play Legos. Uh, you kind of just hold them. Yeah. yeah. They're little lumps. I mean, they're cute, but they don't, they're just kind of lumps. Yeah. yeah. So you were off for like five, six weeks and was it totally off or were you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, that was it. And in fact, I didn't like, I didn't even check email or anything. It was kind of great. Like, I think I checked once at like two weeks in, uh, and it was terrific. And then, and it was all like, it was planned. I was okay. Like, Five or six weeks, I'll, I'll sort of, you know, have a little bit of wiggle room, but I'll play it by ear. So when I'm telling back, and it was just as I'd agreed with my co-founder and 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 sort of the other job that I was working at the time. Um, and yet, what I found was when it was time to go back, I was enraged. And in retrospect, it's very strange. I don't, you know, it's just something about that heightened emotional state, I guess. Um, but I was just so like resentful and angry about it. Um, you know, like, why are you tearing me from my son kind of thing? And it's very out of character for me. I mean, I don't like, I don't, I don't do road rage. I don't get mad about people cutting me off in line. Like I'm just, for whatever reason, again, like I'm just not wired that way. <laughs> and it was the first time I remember really being just angry about something. Um, wow. It's very strange and unsettling way. And I think it was just this like, you know, I don't know, protective, uh, you know, tiger cub kind of thing where I was just like, I don't want to be away from this little boy. Um, but I, I remember just thinking like, I will not go to this meeting and, you know, and my wife was like, well, you just go, you're going to be fine. You know, like it's not a big deal, you know, like where he's sleeping, who cares? You know? Uh, and, and it was a very, um, you know, she's very pragmatic and level-headed and I guess I'm, I'm much more sort of emotional. <laughs> wow. That's interesting. It's interesting that you had rage. Cause when I had to go back to work, I, it, it just made me kind of sad. And I, I, I feel like rage is a little bit more of a useful emotion than 
than sad. I, I don't know. I, I don't know that either one is the right way to go. <laughs> I, I, I just, for me, it was such a foreign thing. Like I couldn't remember having been so mad about something like that. Ever. Uh, ever. Yeah. Mm. And it was surreal. It was interesting to me. So when you went back to work, um, did Elena, uh, did she end up taking her leave kind of later after they'd finished the, the funding stuff or? Yeah. Well, she, yeah. I mean, she, right after that week, she sort of was, you know, fully able to be off and with our son. And the plan had been for her to take, um, about three months actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a bit more complicated. Her, her father got sick, uh, mm. cancer, um, and, um, has, essentially recovered as much as you can. Uh, you always live with it. Uh, huh. but, uh, but she ended up taking about nine months. Uh, and it was, uh, it was really interesting because, um, you know, obviously a huge economic impact to that, right? Like you, you think about like, uh, what it takes to, to rebalance your budget, um, with, with not being, it was, you know, unpaid for yeah. the next six months. And then, um, prioritization. So she was, uh, our, you know, our in-laws live out of state. So she was uh, most of the time with our son, uh, you know, away. And so there's the, just the one, the, the separation, but also what are the costs of flying around and, and getting to different places and visiting family. And, you know, you, you get these sort of huge parts of life thrown at you all at once of literally life and death kind of, you know, reckoning yeah. with each other at the same time. Uh, it was very, it was a really, um, I think really clarifying, right? And, and I think parenthood on its own is, but to reckon with uh, possibly losing a parent while just having had a child, I think um, for both of us was really, um, yeah, clarifying. And, and it helps with prioritization because you just sort of immediately see things fall away that you care about or don't care about and, and you can make those decisions so much faster. And I think, you know, we often when we're comfortable, have the luxury of just hemming and hawing and, oh gosh, what should I do? And it's like, you know, when think, when push really comes to shove, you, you just have to make some decisions and, and do what it takes to take care of your, yourself and your family. And like that, that actually, um, as hard as that was, I think that was really, um, a very net positive experience of having gone through it. Yeah. It, it sounds like it would have been pretty tricky at the time, but, um, yeah, no, I don't recommend (laughs) (laughs) not advocating it, but if you find yourself in the position where you have a newborn infant and, uh, a loved one with stage four cancer, uh, try and remember that something good can become of it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so when, um, when your wife eventually went back to work, um, then where did Malcolm go during the day? Um, we, so initially we had, um, a nanny, uh, for part of the time. So she sort of gradually went back to work and, and was phasing it in over a couple of months. And so we were having somebody more and more, um, mm-hmm. uh, watch him. And, and it was interesting, actually, it's a, a, a sort of a side note, but it was one of those absurdities of, uh, being a parent in, in Manhattan. Um, and it, Manhattan parents are, are just ridiculous in many, many, many ways. <laughs> Um, but one of them was we were like, okay, we'll look for recommendations for a nanny or a babysitter or whatever. And I, I guess I'm – I don't know if I'm old-fashioned or just stick in the mud or something. I was like, well, we're going to legally pay our nanny. We're going to pay the taxes on it. We're going to pay her you know, over the table. Mm-hmm. And nobody could recommend a like <laughs> – 
a nanny who they were paying legal. It was the weirdest thing. It was this very, it was, it was, I, I felt like, like the, you know, the twilight zone or something. Like it was this, like everybody sort of matter of factly in this very privileged middle-class, upper middle-class way was like, Oh, well we just break the law. Yeah. And, wow. and it was, it was striking to me because I'm like, one, I just, I, I just assume you do things a certain way. And two, I was sort of like, well, you know, like how many times have we heard of like some, I don't know, some politician or some executive that's like has nanny troubles and didn't pay their taxes and whatever. Like it's a thing that all the time we hear about going wrong, right? <laughs> like, like that's the like classic story of what happens is like, oh, well, somebody was going to be, you know, appointed to a position and then yeah. they found out they never paid their nanny's taxes. And it, it, it was such a weird and arbitrary thing because it's like, of course, it's a lot of money, but everything about childcare is enormously expensive, right? Yes. Like that, that's not actually even a meaningful criticism. Like every form of childcare is more money than you could possibly imagine it costing. Yeah. Um, so at that point it's like, it's a rounding error. You're going broke anyway. <laughs> um, and I don't know if that's helpful advice, but th- 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 there's that thing. And, and it was such a, uh, um, an instructive moment for me about the sort of artifice of parenting overall, right? Like every single thing about, co-sleeping and about like, you know, zealous breastfeeding and about like everything and like organic food. It's like, you know what? Look at the person next to you at work. Look at the one that is great at their job. Look at the one that's terrible at their job. Do you know which of them co-slept? No, you don't. Because it doesn't matter. Like, honestly, it doesn't matter. And that was the thing is like, and people could, you know, and I'm like, whatever choice you make is fine. Like if I, you know, and I just, it was one of the things that was so clarifying because I was like, oh, these things are all arbitrary. Like the law is not arbitrary, right? Right. Like there's a reason. I, I I may agree or disagree with the law and I might, you know, like whatever. I can quibble with that. But like it's it's actually really clear. Yeah. And all these other things where there is no law, that's what everybody's fighting about. <laughs> and And none of them – I mean I'm like, listen, if you got vaccines for your kid and you got clean running water and you got, you know, enough calories in a day – you're good. Like, don't drop the kid on their head. Right. Uh, you know, and, and that's it. You're kind of, that's it. You're good. Yeah. And, and, and especially for me where I'm like, I'm somebody that has access to people that I can talk to and, you know, I'm blessed with family and also like in my career, I have access to opportunity and that's it. That's actually all it takes to, to, for your kid to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a yeah that it's a good a way to think about it that there's this this baseline there's this baseline yeah. you have to meet and once yeah it's, and it's everything that's, on top I mean, of that is icing yeah i mean especially now where i see it three years old living in manhattan are the other parents are ta- literally talking about okay well this is the preschool we have to go to to go to this school to be able to go to you know blah 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 to to go to harvard or to whatever and I'm like, first of all, our kids are going to be in college 15 years from now. It's like, do you remember what the music industry looked like 15 years ago? There used to be record stores. Right. I was like, I look at colleges and I'm like, most of them look a lot like record stores to me. Yeah. You know? And it's like, I love education. I respect education. I love music too. But I'm not presuming that that model is going to be what's true in 15 years as to how our kids are going to learn. Yeah. That we know what kind of career they're going to want to go into and what's appropriate. It's like the second thing is if you have the level of privilege that we do to be able to make a living in New York City and provide for our kids, your kid by definition is going to be fine because opportunity is like meritocracy is a lie and <laughs> and we're already in. And when you're already inside, you kind of can't fall that far. Yeah. 
You know, like there's no circumstance where my son, you know, short of addiction or illness ends up in a really bad way. Yeah. And now to teach him to respect the privilege that it means for me to be able to say that is my task. But yeah. to pretend that that's not true is just a lie. There isn't, you know, like, and, and the scariest thing you can say to a parent in New York City, if you are yourself a parent, is I don't care if I have a C student. I, it's fine with me. Oh, because huh. it's sacrilege, you know, yeah. like that, that, that overachiever thing is so groomed. And I'm like, I did the straight A thing. I was that overachieving kid and it was, there wasn't anything there for me. It wasn't meaningful for me. If he chooses that path, he's a brilliant young boy. I, of course, I think my boy is the smartest boy. <laughs> yeah, so, that's yes, right. That, that's just true. But, it, you know, if he chooses to be that, that's great. But I'm like, if he wants to like kind of mess around and, you know, wander around for a couple years and not do a lot of productive stuff. Honestly, it's fine. It's fine. And, and I think like when you realize that like there is no downside, there is no fear, there is no risk really. Um, they can't do anything to him. Yeah. You know, uh, and like I went to a crappy public school and I'm fine, (laughs) you know? And, and, and I think that's a really, that, that, that just shows how much of, the pressure and the stress we put on parents and especially on moms is mm. all about seeking validation for the choices we made ourselves. So we have to tell you your choice about whatever you put the wrong color booties on your baby, <laughs> right? Is you being a bad parent and it's going to affect your kid because then that means I made the right choices. And I'm like, you're fine. I'm fine. Yeah. The kid. Yeah. I, I don't mean to cut you off, but, um, <laughs> you know, you, you mentioned co-sleeping earlier and I, um, I, at the beginning, I was, I was so like, I'm, I had just thought that I was going to have my kid sleep in a crib and, um, and I got sick about, and, and had a surgery like at at seven weeks postpartum and I couldn't easily get in and out of bed. And I started co-sleeping with my kid and I found we both slept. We just slept so well. (laughs) Like it just, it totally changed everything. And then I realized like, Oh wait, whether or not we co-sleep is about like what allows our family to function best, you know, like, right. Right. Like, and this is, I mean, I say this where, you know, people wring our hands over, should we do a nanny or should we do daycare? And you know what? I'm like, there aren't any bad choices here. Like the only bad choice is for you to be a miserable parent, you know, to not be present, to, to not be investing time as much as you can in your kid, you know, or to yeah. not meet those basic needs, right? Like the sort of like the biological level needs. Yeah. Um, and other than that, it's like there isn't like there isn't that much risk. There isn't this danger, and this boogeyman people sort of want to hang over you. Like we didn't go sleep with our son, and he's fine too. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> and I just I just wish I could like absolve so many parents of this like stress they put on themselves and the pressure they put on themselves, or the pressure they allow others to put on them. And I get it. Like, I think everybody has, you know, the mom or the mother-in-law or the, you know, you know, the, the, Somebody, the friend on society Facebook. At large. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, right. Exactly. The entirety of the media complex, like all those things that are like, you need to do this and this and this. And I'm like, like, you gotta be able to just forgive yourself, sleep at night as best you can as the kid lets you. Um, and, and be present when the kid is awake and the rest is fine. You know, yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I have kind of a tangential question sure. for you, which is you're, you're a dad in tech. Have you observed other dads in, in tech, um, 
doing things that you've you've thought were like interesting ways of of managing their their balance their work life yeah, balance or however we want to for sure call that. yeah I mean can, are you asking can men have it all yes exactly uh, the um we always have I don't know why we would stop now now I, I think the um it's interesting the the cohort of of peers in tech that I hang out with are almost all parents and all the all the men are almost all dads and and some of it may be just self-selection but I think a lot of it is just about who I sort of connect with and uh, these days and and um and I think yeah the things I see that work really well is that sort of actually it's really interesting it, and think up most of the team um is remote almost everybody is just remote on a given day and we work in slack and you know a chat app mm-hmm. and I see the pattern of when and I'm like you know people can work whenever they want I don't you know we don't track hours or whatever, but like the, the pattern I see is this sort of bump, this spike around 9am, 9.30am, like the kids are at school or I'm getting done, you know, I'm at my desk, here I go, I'm, I'm working and checking in code and whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, throughout the day, the ups and downs, and then this lull around four when it's like, oh, it's time to go pick up the kids and I got to make dinner and I got to do whatever, you know, and, and we're all very participatory parents. And then this sort of second spike at like eight thirty, nine o'clock, nine thirty, like kids asleep, uh, or you know if they have older kids, like okay, kids watching TV or doing homework, and now I can come back and sort of reengage. And it's really interesting for me of like this pattern of like we we can fit our work around our lives, and 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 I think of as a you know as a founder and as a CEO, how can I enable that for more people? Hmm. Right? It's like how do we um, sort of co- collaborate around that where, where, you know, Gina, my co-founder and she's got, you know, a wife and a young kid and all that stuff too. And, and I always see like these really super productive code check-ins that are like one thirty AM, 2 AM, <laughs> you know, and I know exactly what it is. is you, you know, the kid goes to bed, you sit down with your spouse and you want to watch like a little bit of Netflix and then you're like, all right, now I'm ready to code. Yep. And I'm that way all the time. And, and, and you, you know, you sort of, you knock something out, you feel good about it and you go to bed, you know? And I think that, um, I'm like, why wouldn't that be a perfectly fine way to work? And that's actually a really great way to sort of be able to be present, uh, for your family and, and, and participate. And I think that's one of those things I take away from, and I didn't, it wasn't anything ever planned, but just observing how people around me were working. And even, uh, a lot of men in the industry I talked to, we have that. And, and interestingly, I'm seeing more sort of explicit forms of that kind of support where like I'm on a mailing list for a bunch of like dads who are mostly in tech, some in um, related areas, but, but you know, mostly in tech mm-hmm. and, um, and there's a real, um, so the most re- recurring themes that come up on this mailing list are really about reckoning with changing our roles as fathers from what we grew up with as models from our dads. Oh, and interesting. And it comes and it manifests in a hundred different ways, right? So it's like I don't like for me personally, like I don't do the dishes enough around the house. And it took me a long time to realize this was like I grew up in a very traditional, you know, South Asian household and that wasn't something my dad ever did. And I had picked up this unconscious bias about it and hadn't challenged myself on it. And being able to talk to other dads and see it manifest for them in in a hundred different ways, right? Um was I think was very instructive for me. It's like I still need to. I, I have a billion things to improve, and that's one of them. Um, <laughs> and and I think uh, 
that really, really stuck with me as this sort of like, we can help each other in this way uh, and also call each other out. I mean, I think having, it's funny, having a safe place for dads to talk is, is we don't do enough of the criticism of each other, you know? It well, it's interesting to me to hear that you have this even because I feel like I hear so much like negativity about women in tech events um, that it, it, it's heartwarming to me to hear that maybe men, in, you know, like dads in, in tech are, are starting to get together in some way too, and that uh, that they could see the value of having a safe space. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah. uh, like, and it's interesting. I mean, one of the like recurring things that comes up amongst men on the list is we all get furious over the accommodations for nursing at work for our partners or spouses. Mm. Um, you know, the, the indignities, you know, like all of us have had, you know, our wife texts us of like, I'm sitting in a bathroom yep, been at there. work. Yeah. <laughs> and, and think about it. And I think everybody understands this. You, you can go through an indignity, but when you see the person you love going through it, yeah, it's another level, right? Like do whatever you want to me, but you make my wife sit in the bathroom for an hour a day to pump. Yeah. And I, it's been two years and I'm still mad. Yep. Um, you know, and, and this is a thing we can change and, 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 or a hundred different things are like the conferences where, um, you know, when I'm speaking, I, I'm asked to speak, uh, you know, to a large degree because of the male privilege and I can go and say, you know, do you have, do you have childcare and do you have like, place for to nurse and I can make a list and put it and, and, and put it on the, on the, you know, their agenda in a way that, um, they can't just dismiss. Right. And, and so that's, I think one of the things we think about a lot about how to use, you know, the platforms we have. Oh, well, that is, I, I am, uh, that, that just makes me feel hopeful and positive. <laughs> so good to hear. Yeah. Well, they're, they're out there and I think a lot of men are uncomfortable talking about it. You know, um, because they're afraid they don't have the language. I mean, I see this a lot. Yeah. Is so many men are like, I care about this and I want to be there for my wife, but I don't want to put her on the spot and make her feel embarrassed. And I don't know how to talk about it, but I care about it. And they just sort of want an opening to be able to say, I care about this too. You know, I think like, I think it was like upvotes, you know, like, I think yeah. people like it, you know, so like, that's a lot of why I try to be vocal about it is like. I see a lot of men, even just when I've talked about like families facing fertility issues and pregnancy issues and, and, and all the challenges there. Um, I, I really, really frequently will get like a private email or a direct message on Twitter from somebody that's like, I just want to say, thanks. This is, you know, our family's dealing with this too. And we're trying to reckon with it and I didn't know how to say it, but it's there. And I think like that, that to me is new where it's like, there's always been, by necessity, the Whisper Network for Women to talk about these issues and all the other things that impact them in the industry because you have mm-hmm. to, to protect yourself. And there's starting to be – it's funny that it's starting as a Whisper Network, but for men, this sort of like place to get permission to talk about these things because they're so um, intimidated by it. Yeah. You know, They're really – they're sort of scared or intimidated or um, – not sure of themselves and don't know how to articulate it. And I'm like, that's fine. Like if that's what it takes to start, then that means we're only, you know, a short while away from being able to talk about it more broadly. Super cool. 
<laughs> I'm glad to hear. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just heartened. Um, I'm glad to hear it too. I'm, I'm not stick. I am. Yeah. All right. Well, so we're up at the end of the hour. So do you have any last, um, you know, tips that you've developed as a parent or advice that you would want to <laughs> uh, give have... to anybody or. Yeah. I think the only advice I have is like, be kind to yourself, mm. you know, and be kind to your kids and like, stop worrying about it. You know, if you've got the basics covered and I'm not dismissing, like it is the money stress is huge. And the, you know, the, it's your turn to you know pick the kids up from soccer. Like that stuff is all real. And I'm not, like, I'm not dismissing it, Yeah. but the things that we, I feel like we almost pursue stressing ourselves out. We almost pursue feeling bad about our, what we're doing as parents. Like we chase down the ability to feel bad about the choices we make. <laughs> and like, you don't have to, you know, honestly, like it, think about it from a global perspective. If you, if you've ever in your life made more than $30,000 in income in a year, you were in the global 1%. Mm. You are amongst the most privileged people that have ever lived. And if you can afford that iPhone you're using to listen to us talk right now, <laughs> you are in the like top 10th of a percent of the richest, wealthiest, most powerful people that have ever lived. And you've done that for your kid already, just as you start, mm. without doing anything else. Right? That's incredible. Like how much, like you've done more than almost any parent in history has ever been able to do just by showing up. Then after that, it's only about like, can you be present and give them your time and your love? And then the rest is like, who cares? It's a rounding error. That's an awesome perspective. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so if people want to hear more of your thoughts, um, which I I, I do. I love, um, I follow you on Twitter and I find, Oh, I'll apologize in advance. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, well, I would, I would highly recommend your feed to, to, um, to everyone. So, uh, if, if people want to hear more, they can find you at dashes.com and you're Anil dash on Twitter and your company is at thinkup.com. Um, and they could check out the, the bundle of of the good web bundle is at goodwebbundle.com too. Okay, perfect. So I'll put links to all of these in the show notes. Perfect. Thank Um, you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for talking today. It was a real pleasure. That wraps up this episode of Motherboard. Thanks again to our sponsor, GitHub, for supporting parents in tech. To see pictures of our guests, learn more about our Creative Commons license, or to support the show, visit motherboardpodcast.com. Last but not least, all views expressed on the podcast are individual opinions and not representative of any company. Thanks for listening. Best wishes for a happy work life and happy parenting. <laughs>